Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day and kicking off a new week. Hope you had a good Father's Day weekend. Some areas got some much-needed rain over the weekend. Other areas also got some uh, storm damage, so kind of a mixed bag. We'll go over all that with John Baranek with DTM. Uh, the markets, wow, they've been all over the place. We'll talk with Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing about markets and Jeff Cooper. President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association will join us. The debate over RINs and uh, the RFS continues between the biofuels industry and the oil industry. We've got members of Congress talking about this. Uh, There's some uh, information out there that's being passed around that uh, Jeff Cooper wants to kind of set the record straight on, clear some things up, uh, and we'll get to that all later on in the program. So, wow, it starts off as a busy week, and we're happy to start it off with Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure, Mike. Hope you had a good Father's Day. Real good. And um, here we go with um, a lot of things on the table here, uh, including right front and center now, uh, Livestock market, markets, cattle markets in particular, uh, we've got Congress now looking at, uh, uh, you know, how these markets work, the role of the big meat packers and what the Congress may do. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what action they may eventually take on this. That's right. You know, the big hearing is Wednesday before the Senate Ag Committee in the afternoon. and There's bipartisan interest in getting down into the uh, economics of pricing on cattle and why there's not more of the, of the dollar going to farmers and ranchers. There's also a lot of concern about expanding processing, and you probably heard Secretary Vilsack last week talking about he's going to come up with some innovative and creative new ways to expand processing in this country. So um, a lot of different factors at play. I thought one thing that was interesting last week is that as Secretary Vilsack was testifying, there was also an announcement by a group of about 200 farmers who own wholesome farms. They're already going to expand 500 million uh, pork processing facility up near Sioux Falls. So the market is working, but it's not cheap or easy to build these new facilities. Siting is often an issue because people don't want them in their backyard sometimes. A lot of environmental regulations attached, and so uh, it is expensive, and, and we're waiting to see what creative ideas Secretary Vilsack might come up with, as well as learn more about the markets from all these uh, economists and other industry experts who will be testifying on Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, we'll see what comes from it. I, I would imagine a lot of livestock producers are saying it's about time you took this more seriously. We've been talking about this for some time. But they're probably also saying uh, we'll believe it when we see it if the government does anything about it. Well, and part of the problem has been just the diversity of opinion within, the, especially the cattle industry groups. You know, <laughs> trying to find unity there has been almost like trying to solve world, world peace. 
But mm-hmm. uh, I do think that, that we've seen more consensus as some of the groups have gotten together. The farmer leaders have said, hey, we may not agree on everything, but we do agree that we have a problem here. We want to solve it. So that will be the key to actually moving any legislation if the industry groups themselves can find some consensus. The Growing Climate Solutions Act, we may see some action on that this week. Yeah, the Senate, uh, some of the senators, Mike Braun from Indiana being one of the leads on that, has suggested that we could see a vote fairly soon. Uh, Representative Spanberger, who's a lead on the House side, uh, who hails from Virginia, has also talked about uh, moving a bill quickly. Uh, And I think we've seen... Representative Glenn Thompson, who is a ranking minority member on the House Ag Committee, maybe mellow a little bit on this legislation and, you know, dive down into what is going on with the technical aspects of that legislation. But for the most part, uh, I think what the industry groups, especially the Food and Ag Climate Alliance, which includes all the major farm organizations, what they really want is to advance this as a kind of a, a, a stake in the ground on trying to lay the groundwork for ag carbon markets. And that includes training people on verification, having apples-to-apples measurements instead of apples-to-bananas. I mean, there's just such a range of different things that are out in the marketplace. And they'd like to see this consistency that can be established by this bill. Meanwhile, the controversial Minority Farmer Debt Relief Program is in the legal system. Uh, We'll see how that moves through there. Meanwhile, Secretary Vilsack has had some strong comments on this topic. Well, you know, he's in a tough spot. He's uh, had a lot of criticism over his lack of action on minority issues when he was secretary previously. And now he's got a lot of folks who are saying we need to really move ahead here. And he spent, I think, a lot more time talking to minority farmers about how historically they have been disadvantaged. And so that's why there aren't, that's one reason why there aren't as many uh, still active in farming. And so when he gets asked about this, he's very passionate about trying to make a case for why the relief is needed. And at the same time, you've got other farmers, including several who have filed lawsuits, saying that they feel like it's not been fair, that the discrimination has not been proven, that they have been uh, left out of the mix. And so we had a uh, judge who sided with them in issuing a temporary restraining order, and now we're waiting for that judge to make another decision on whether that lawsuit can go forward, at least the one up in Minnesota. And one other topic, infrastructure. Are we going to get action on that this week? You know, it sounded a little better uh, with folks that we were talking to at the end of the week in terms of this group of over 20 senators, I think it's 21 now, uh, that are trying to find some consensus of getting an infrastructure package that does not include any new tax increases or changes in things like stepped-up basis or estate taxes for farmers. So they seem to be making some uh, progress uh, it still is not a done deal yet, and I think that there's going to be a, a pressure from the White House this week to say, hey, we've, we've got to move on, and uh, if you guys can't all come together, then um, they can do it through uh, either straight Democratic votes if they can get everybody. Uh, but that's not a done deal either because you've got Kristen Cinema out of uh, Arizona and Joe Manchin from West Virginia, two 
key Democrats to watch as this moves forward. Well, so much going on, some big topics, huge topics and issues, and we'll see what action takes place this week. We'll be watching closely. Sarah, as always, thank you. Good to talk with you. Good talking to you, Mike. Have a great week. Take care. Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Well, one of the big stories over the weekend, rain in a lot of places that needed it. Uh, some places, though, got a little more than they had hoped for in terms of storm damage. Some hail in some places, some wind damage in other places. We're going to try to kind of look across the country here and see who got what over the weekend. But uh, certainly uh, some places got some much, much needed precipitation. John Baranek with DTN joins us next with a complete look at the weather right here on AOA. Stay with us. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise. We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Waters of the U.S. back in the news. Let's talk it over with Chuck Connor, president of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Took four years to get that controversial 2015 Obama rule changed. Now this administration proposing to change it again. What are your thoughts? We just can't believe after arduous four-year effort to fix this controversial rule, thought we were done with it, and now we learn we're not. It looks like the Biden administration is wanting to go back to something in the 2015 uh, rule range, and when I traveled the countryside during that period, there was nothing more opposed by farmers and landowners out there than that original 2015 rule. Unfortunately, it looks like there is an effort to go back and use that as a basis again, and I think agriculture will rise up once again in strong opposition to this. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Step right up, then gaze upon this miraculous substance I hold in the palm of my hands. This little miracle can feed us, clothe us, give us clean, fresh water, and provide wildlife habitat for nature's critters. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the greatest Learn more about soil health principles that can turn your soil into a star performer. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, 
so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, a lot of thirsty crops got a good drink over the weekend in several parts of the country, but uh, also along with it came some storm damage in places. Let's uh, talk about it with DTM meteorologist John Baranek. John, thanks for joining us. Uh, We'll start with the good news. Some much-needed precipitation in several key areas. Yeah, thanks, Mike. We did see, especially uh, if you want to take kind of a general picture at it, the eastern corn belt did much better than the western corn belt did. Um, the eastern corn belt really saw, if you saw, look at strips from southern Iowa into central Illinois, um, northern Illinois into southern Michigan, good stuff uh, going on over Wisconsin. We saw lots of, uh, of the drought areas that have been building over the last few weeks uh, really, really get uh, some good moisture. Um, a lot of those areas got, that I had mentioned got over two inches of rainfall, which is very helpful. Uh, we also saw some flooding, though. So there were some guys that got uh, a little too much there in southern Indiana and southwest Ohio. Uh, but uh, other than that, the eastern Corn Belt did pretty well. The western Corn Belt did, just really didn't. Uh, we saw maybe a half inch of rain in North Dakota and northern Minnesota. Um, and much less than that uh, through much of South Dakota, Nebraska, southwest Minnesota, and even northwest Iowa, where uh, the drought has really been taking hold over the last several months. Then on the other side, as you mentioned, some areas got too much rain in, in some places. Other areas got some hail, and there was some wind damage in places. I know here in Illinois, where I'm at, uh, see some corn leaning. Uh, hopefully it's going to be okay, but I know other places not too far away from me are, are down. So, I mean, there we uh, had some uh, some issues with some of those storms that moved across, and oftentimes that happens when it's been so hot, so dry, it uh, winds up being, uh, it, it kind of breaks with a, with a kind of a violent uh, storm in places, and we saw that, didn't we? You're right, we did. I forgot to mention that. Yes, uh, there were a lot of these same areas that I talked about getting the rainfall also had the severe weather. Uh, and then there was a couple of tornadoes out there, but a lot of it was due to uh, straight-line wind damage and hail. Uh, there's a colleague of mine in central Illinois um, that showed me some pictures of, of the, the corn leaning that you that you'd mentioned, but there was also some green snap going on, uh, plenty of defoliation on soybeans. Um, so there's, there's, there's plenty of, of damage that occurred. Um, so, yeah, if, you can't have it both ways sometimes in, this, in, in the summer. You can't, can't get really good rainfall without the threat of that severe weather coming through as well. Uh, kind of take the good with the bad. Yep, we're talking with DTM meteorologist John Baranek. Uh, the other part of this is, um, while welcome, certainly, more rains are going to be needed. Uh, that These rains didn't uh, break any droughts in, in the areas that have been very, very dry. We're still on a needing more, and and it's going to be a lot about when they come and how they come. So we've got a long ways to go with this. That's very true, yeah. I mean, the, the rainfall, especially in, in southern Michigan, has been 
pretty helpful, but we're, we're way far behind. Um, you know, two inches, two, three inches isn't going to eliminate everything when we're, you know, talking, you know, five to ten inches behind um, in some of these places. So uh, it's, it's good, but it's, we, we're going to need more. Luckily, it looks like we're going to have some more. Uh, we got another system moving through later this week um, through the same areas, and kind of seeing a similar picture. We'll see some scattered, isolated showers in the western Corn Belt and some better rainfall here as we get into the eastern Corn Belt, mostly in that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday time frame. Um, a lot of the areas, again, you know, it's going to be strips that see the, you know, over two inches of rainfall, but uh, there will be some there in the eastern Corn Belt for sure. I just don't know how, how well things are going to turn out in the western Corn Belt. I think that's the big, the big, uh, the big question mark going forward here we do have some cooler temperatures here at the start of the week uh, for another day or two it's going to be short-lived um yeah temperatures at where i'm at in minnesota got into the 40s this morning so it was a nice wake-up call to, to have those instead of the, the 70s <laughs> that way i had been mm -hmm. Uh, waking up with um, earlier this month, uh, but it's going to be short-lived. Short uh, the trough that's really digging its way in and produced all the rainfall this weekend uh, is, is going to quickly move out uh, and be replaced briefly by a ridge of high pressure and some and warmer temperatures, at least, uh, at least around normal, if not above normal, especially if you're west of the Mississippi. Um, we, that system that comes through late this week, though, will send them right back down again, uh, at least towards normal might uh, pull out some below normal temperatures in there as well. So kind of on a roller coaster ride here over the next uh, 7 to 10 days. Folks in the southeast have certainly been hit hard with a lot of uh, rain and a lot of storms. They did. Uh, that tropical storm that moved through, they finally named it right as it was coming on shore uh, into Louisiana and moved uh, right through the southeast and missed the Delta region, which was good for them. They had some flooding down there. Uh, it completely missed them, so that was good. But, it, yes, it did move through the southeast, so Alabama, Georgia, Carolinas, lots of rainfall, lots of two- or four-inch amounts and, and uh, isolated heavier uh, across a wide a wide span there across that region. Um, they'll be into a lot more precipitation this week as well as the front that uh, is going through the Midwest and Southern Plains. It's going to kind of park itself over the Gulf Coast, so they'll continue to see rains down there all the way throughout the week. And Kansas, those wheat harvest areas, what are they going to see this week? Yeah, they got. They're having a brief, uh, brief delay with the with the wheat harvest here. Uh, they got some rainfall last night and into today, uh, but that's brief. Uh, we'll dry out for the, the next at least couple of days. The front that's going to go through uh, the northern plains and Midwest later this week. It's going to produce some scattered showers for them too, but it's probably a lot more scattered uh, than what they're exper experiencing yesterday and today. All right, let's look ahead a little bit because we're not far from July. We're not far from that critical pollination period. What's your uh, forecast uh, longer term? Yeah, so for July, we didn't have too much of an update here for you. Um, I think for the most part, what we're going to see is a nice dome of high pressure really build up over the uh, western Atlantic and the, the, the east coast. Um, our long-range forecasters are... Are, who are much better at forecasting this stuff than me are really keying in on uh, what's going on in the tropics or lack thereof and uh, really letting us know that, you know, we're experiencing, we're going to be experiencing kind of a dome of high pressure move 
moved kind of westward through uh, the eastern half of the country and uh, a trough of low pressure hopefully building up over the northwest. That'll put uh, much of the uh, corn belts in, in a good spot for, for rainfall chances. Uh, that includes the western corn belt um, for at least the, first, uh, the last half of July. And then we're going to be kind of questioning whether or not we get any rainfall after that. Um, we still have a lot of, of heat building in through uh, the region, and then um, it really turns kind of drier as we go into August. So we may, we will hopefully get something here in July to kind of tide us through the pollination period in, uh, from late, late July and August. Um, and we're just going to kind of hope and pray for, for that to occur and for those drought areas to, to kind of try and reduce or eliminate that drought as we get into pollination as well. It seems we don't have um, any major weather system controlling things right now. Is that right? It just kind of be uh, uh, a mix of things right now. Right. The the biggest one that we always talk about is El Nino, uh, and that's in its neutral phase. And it's expected to be that way through the rest of the summer and probably into early fall as well before we start going uh, potentially into another uh, La Nina weaker than we saw last winter, but uh, into La Nina again. Um, but yeah, with, with neutral conditions, that, I mean, El Nino is, is the biggest driver of our, of our weather on a global scale here for the, um, for, the, for the U.S. And yeah, that's when it's not really making up its mind, either positive or negative or warm or cold, uh, it, it leads to a bunch of uh, smaller things kind of coming together to produce our, our overall weather pattern. A lot of that has to do with thunderstorm clusters that are uh, across the Indian Ocean and uh, into the what we call the maritime continent region where all the islands from um, Australia up into Asia. And, you know, where those things move through have a, have a lot larger influence on our weather pattern than, than a neutral uh, La Nina or El Nino. So, uh, and those are, are harder to predict in advance, too. So, um, we, we have a pretty good idea of what those patterns can be like for the next four, maybe six weeks. Um, but for, for the most part, those things are harder to, to, to comprehend and to put together. Um, lots of other smaller things go into that as well to, to produce our overall pattern. All right, John, good to talk with you. We'll see what this week brings and talk again next week. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Mike. DTN meteorologist John Baranek. Well, how do the markets react to the rains over the weekend? These markets have been uh, pretty volatile. We'll get the latest on uh, the markets with Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Each and every day, DTN and progressive farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. 
Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Rains over the weekend pressured overnight trade. That pressure continues into today. Uncertainty remains around the ethanol industry and when the Supreme Court hands down their decision on refinery waivers and the EPA's broad powers. On the Board of Trade, September corn trading 13 cents lower at 564.5 cents. The July contract down 8 and a fraction at 647 and a fraction. For soybeans, the July contract down a fraction at 1395 and three quarters. August down four and a half cent at thirteen fifty and a half cent for wheat Chicago wheat July down three at six fifty nine and three quarters Kansas City wheat July down seven at five ninety nine and a half cent Minneapolis spring wheat July down two cents at seven sixty and a half cent September down three and a fraction at seven sixty three last week was certainly a wild week for livestock with some influence stemming from movement of grain prices but generally the volatility came from cash and demand cash was positive for cattle with prices in the north averaging four dollars higher than the previous week while cash in the south was two dollars higher. This was not anticipated by most of the trade early in the week as box beef showed weakness. Box beef continued to weaken substantially throughout the week but it had little to no influence on cash. August live cattle down 75 at 120.80. The October contract trading 82 cents lower at 126.17. For feeders August down 20 at 154.82. September down 22 at 157 even. In lean hogs the July contract down 247 at 106.25, August down $3 at 103.67. Cash cattle country is slow to start this morning. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 453 points. The Nasdaq Composite up 17. The S&P 500 up 36. Crude oil in New York is up 99 cents at 72.28 per barrel. The U.S. dollar index is trending lower. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
All right, let's talk markets with Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, thank you for joining us. It's almost like the markets can now say, told you so, because they were sure it was going to rain, evidently. By the way, prices had been dropping uh, last week, and now we have some rain. So uh, uh, what's uh, what's the driving force for the markets right now this week? Yeah, so so far this morning, you're right. We're looking at the rainfall accumulation that occurred over the weekend. And, you know, I checked the radar constantly this weekend, and it did look like, you know, Iowa was receiving some beneficial rains and Minnesota, all the places that needed it. But now that the accumulation maps are coming through, we're starting to understand that even though it looked like there was rain falling on the radar, a lot of those places didn't get as much as what they were calling for and what had pushed prices so much down last week. So parts of Iowa that were expected to get two inches of rain maybe got about a quarter inch to a half inch, all welcomed without question because they have been so dry there. Uh, But the market kind of waking up here this morning and being like, oh, okay, not as much rain as we thought. The rain happened, but not as much as we thought. So that's why we've got July beans up nine cents. We've got um, July corn almost trading positive. The markets were down close to you know, 20, 30 cents earlier as the session began. So if you're a chart geek like me and you're looking at 60-minute charts, we've got bullish reversals happening on these 60-minute charts. So hopefully that's a good indicator of just prices really digging in there for the week um, until we get into that big quarterly stocks report and acreage report next week on Wednesday. Almost get whiplash watching these markets the way they uh, bounce back and forth. Now we do have some... Uh, on the business side, some sales side, uh, China buying some more. Yeah, China buying beans that was announced this morning. Uh, my understanding was that that was the official confirmation of the buying from last week, Friday, that pushed prices higher. Um, but overall, what an indicator. You know, the market moves down a, a good amount and the demand stepped right in. And so we've got new crop sales on the books for next year already. So that's that's good for the big picture. All right. So... As you try to stay calm through these markets, jumping back and forth like this, what are you telling farmers? Well, of course, right now, first and foremost, I'm encouraging folks to make sure that they're pretty current with their um, crop insurance that they that they took because with the volatility that we have and with the very um, different amount of rainfalls happening, you know, county by county and state by state, make sure you have a keen under, understanding of what's happening there. Um, a lot of folks are, the needs are different this year because, you know, you got the Eastern Corn Belt that overall is kind of doing okay, so they're plugging away with their forward contracts and things like that. But then you've got the Western Corn Belt that is scared to do any more forward contracting just because of their crop conditions aren't perfect, so they don't want to overcommit themselves. So we're looking at a lot of different strategies, strategies for some folks to um, cover downside risk in case we end up having a perfect growing season. And then at the same time, we still are in a setup situation where if we don't have large increases of acres on the June 30th report, and if they actually tell the truth about how tight ending stocks truly are yet still, um, we have more reasons why prices could explode higher. So you have to have a balanced approach and and just really take, you know, the blinders off your eyes and be ready for more volatility but, you know, I can tell you four reasons why prices could go up another buck. I can tell you, you know, four reasons why prices could decrease a dollar in the weeks ahead. So we are going to continue to see the volatility, I think, quite frankly, until the middle of August. What are you expecting from USDA next week? 
Um, I am expecting them to continue their kick the can down the road method. So here's what's interesting though. When I talk with my clients um, and just other folks in the industry and what they're saying with their clients, you know, usually you're talking with corn growers and they have maybe a quarter to a third of the corn in their bins yet for this time of year. That's kind of been the normal thing for the last seven years. And then they use summer rallies to clean out the bins. I call those folks and those guys do not have a quarter of their crop left in the bin or a third of their crop. They're down to, you know, maybe 5,000 bushels left. Or some of the guys who would normally have 100,000 bushels left in their bins this time of year, they're down to 20,000 bushels of corn. So people have been making sales all winter long and all spring long as this market's been going higher. And I just don't think there's a lot of corn or soybeans left in the countryside. So hopefully we see that show up on the quarterly stocks report that we are really tight on those old crop supplies, but whether the USDA wants to reveal that or not is a question. And then, of course, as far as the acres go, the industry guesstimates right now are so wide. I do think we're going to see an increase of soybean and corn acres from what they had on the March report, but how much of an increase is the question. No one obviously knows how the crop will turn out, but some areas certainly feeling a lot better than others. Some of those areas that are still dry, I mean, it, they pretty well know that <laughs> they're just not going to have anywhere near uh, a normal crop, let alone an above normal crop. So uh, they're faced with some really tougher decisions. Higher prices are one thing, but when you don't have much to sell, it doesn't do you much good. Well, that's exactly right, and that's that's the the tough um, part for those folks, you know, especially in the Western Corn Belt. That's what they're what they're dealing with right now. You want to be so excited about these higher values and making sure that you're protecting it, but there's a true true concern that they're not going to have the crop there to take advantage of these of these higher price values. Uh, so again, that's where the scenario planning comes in, and just kind of um, being ready to protect downside protection with different put option strategies, but also have ideas in place in, in case market prices can work higher. Uh, but you're right, you know, the, the yield thing is a big deal. And with as dry as it's been this early in the season, it is going to affect overall yield as we go forward. And now the question, I've heard it on Twitter, I've seen people say, well, you know, can the Eastern Corn Belt make up for the deficits in the Western Corn Belt? I'm not sure, but when you think about how much corn Minnesota grows, and North and South Dakota, and Iowa, I mean, that was, those are some of the big, big corn-producing states. It's not like you're talking about French states. Those states are a big deal. So you're really asking a lot of Illinois and Indiana and Ohio to be able to more than make up for the deficit amounts that are going to be likely occurring in the Northern Plains and Iowa. Yeah, because you mentioned... Uh, some consider those fringe states, but their their percentage of uh, the overall crop has been growing in recent years. And then you add up enough of those states, it really does start to make a difference. It makes a huge difference. You know, the 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 ability of the North Dakota producers and the South Dakota producers, they are fabulous producers. And they have been um, becoming bigger and bigger factors in the overall uh, grain-growing regions of our country, so they cannot be discounted by any means. They are very important, and so it's going to be um, it's going to be a battle all summer long to really understand the difference between the eastern side of the country and the western side of the country. And I think the bottom line, though, is that we've lost our ability to have a record crop, and that's what the USDA has printed on paper right now. And they have this record crop for corn and beans both, and I just don't think it's going to happen, but how quickly they start to reduce yield 
on paper is the biggest question for the industry. I think that's a key statement right there. We've lost the potential of a record crop right now. So now we see how close can we get? How good can it be? And that's a that's a big question mark. So some would be saying, then why aren't the markets just up every day? You know, if that's the mm-hmm. bottom line, if that's the fundamental and the tightness that we came into this year with is still there, then why would the markets drops as much as they have in recent days. Yeah, and again, that part of it with the market dropping was due to outside markets falling apart and the dollar being up so much. So remember, when the, when the dollar is high, it makes it trickier for us to export products because of currency exchange rates. But again, the other factor with this, the other big part of the equation is that we don't know where our planted acres are. Once we get that data next week on Wednesday, then we can start to plug in different yield scenarios going forward, and we'll have a clearer vision of ending stocks as we head into the latter part of summer and into fall and into the next crop marketing year. But I think overall the bottom line is that um, we're going to be trading weather from here on out. All of these USDA reports are going to just rattle everybody's cages, and then you've got China complaining every other day that commodity prices are too high. So they say or do something to make prices fall, and then they come in and buy everything. So their demand is there. We are still in a demand-led market. Um, Now that prices have come down enough, I think this has been a great opportunity for end users to secure their needs. So um, it's it's just, it it is a demand-led market, but now the question mark is still going to be on the supply side. Yeah, so we look at those weekly crop condition numbers. Uh, I'm guessing Mondays will look pretty good after some rain over the weekend. Um, That's what we're starting to wonder. In some places, depending on how they, I believe they collect that data on Sunday night. So in some places, you're going to see improvements to the crop. In some places, you're not going to see the improvement, just depending on how much rain came through. I haven't even seen any pre-report guesstimates for this afternoon's report yet. I think most people are expecting it to be just a little bit worse, in a sense, than last week. But how, how worse or, or what the actual numbers come in, of course, is yet to be seen. Yeah, so that'll be interesting to see because we're watching those uh, so closely now. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Doesn't sound like it's going to calm down anytime soon in the markets, Naomi. No, it's not. Expect this volatility to continue this week and next week, especially with that report, and then the holiday weekend, and then the July USDA report right after that, along with um, traders just eyeing the weather forecast as the corn crop starts to head into pollination. So it is going to be a continued wild ride. All right. Thank you, Naomi. Good to talk with you. Appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Good to visit with you also. Take care. Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. All right. Up next, Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. As we continue with this battle about um, RENs, about uh, the RFS, about the oil industry perhaps getting relief, Jeff Cooper has uh, a lot of things to say about those topics and more on biofuels coming up next. Stay with us. This is AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad? Your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? 
When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Colin Woodall, CEO of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association with us. All right, the Department of Agriculture is unveiling three proposed rules that they say will strengthen enforcement of the Packers and Stockyards Act. 
Any concerns about what you're seeing and hearing on this? We do have some concerns, especially in regards to revisiting the old GYPSA rule. And all of your listeners who have had any sort of engagement with the cattle industry over the past decade will remember the big fight that that brought forward. And just as a recap, the original GYPSA rule that was a result of the 2008 Farm Bill and ended up manifesting itself in the 2010 rule that uh, we then spent a lot of time and effort fighting, basically would put USDA in the driver's seat in determining how producers can or cannot market their cattle. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we are joined by Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Several things to talk about. We'll not talk baseball this time, Jeff, okay? We, that's, that's too hey, painful that's for us me. Cardinal fans. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll move on to something else here. All right, so we got this battle going on again as oil refiners are trying to get uh, uh, relief from uh, the RFS, and there's that rumor out there that the Biden administration is thinking about doing it. Meanwhile, now Wells Fargo has entered into this uh, with some uh, information that uh, I know you take exception to. Uh, explain that for us. Yeah, we, we do take exception to it. The Wells Fargo uh, equity analysts sent out a report last week to investors about the renewable fuel standard and about current high rent prices. And it was just so full of, of half-truths and uninformed opinions and, and odd assertions. And clearly, the guys who wrote this report don't have a, a very good understanding of how the RFS works. And we wouldn't normally hit back on, on a Wall Street kind of equity research note like this, but this one was so bad, we felt obligated to respond because it isn't just people on Wall Street that are reading these reports. It's also people on Capitol Hill and, and elsewhere. So we felt uh, the responsibility to correct the record on this thing. So meanwhile, um, while that information has been circulating, you've, you've had some members of Congress standing up and, and saying, no, don't grant this relief uh, to the oil industry. Yeah, that, that, that's right. We, we saw a very strong reaction last week uh, from, from Capitol Hill, we saw a, a letter, a bicameral letter, from Democrats in, in the House and the Senate uh, to Administrator Regan and two officials in the White House uh, really admonishing them and, and, and warning them not to, to uh, take the bait from the refineries and, and not to uh, lower the renewable fuel standard as is being requested by some of these refiners and, and some of their members of, of Congress. So we were very pleased to see that, that letter go in. Uh, we also know that uh, some of our best uh, friends and champions on Capitol Hill have been making phone calls over to the White House. Uh, and then we actually saw another letter uh, on Friday from Republicans in the House, uh, members of the House Biofuels Caucus, who uh, communicated a similar message to uh, EPA and the White House. So we do have uh, our supporters, I think, are being uh really encouraged to step up and and they are responding and and hopefully we can uh you know shut this whole rumor mill down and you know EPA got off to such a good start with implementing the RFS and 
you know, committing to uh, really wind down the SRE program. Uh, we were very encouraged by what we were seeing from this administration so far on the RFS. So we don't want to we don't want to uh, walk backward on the RFS, and we want to see that progress continue. I know there are people listening. There's asking what are these RINs you keep talking about and why is there such a debate over them such a difference of opinion between the biofuels industry and the oil industry could you take us through that please yeah absolutely Mike and that's exactly what this Wells Fargo report was all about Um, RINs are effectively the compliance credits for the renewable fuel standard it's it's a basically a serial number that is attached to each gallon of renewable fuel and that serial number is what the refiners turn into EPA to demonstrate that they complied with the RFS, that they met their obligation to blend uh, a certain quota of renewable fuels. Now, these credits, these RINs, are tradable, and that's because the refiners wanted it that way uh, back when the RFS was designed. So you can comply with the RFS without ever blending a drop of renewable fuels uh, by purchasing these RIN credits from other refiners who blend more than their share. And so that's what all this noise is about that we're hearing now is the price of those rent credits has risen to record levels uh, because the, the marketplace is understanding that this administration is very likely to enforce the RFS as it was intended to be enforced and that we're not going to see the small refinery exemptions that we saw. And so compliance is going to be a little harder, which is the, the point of the program. So rent prices have risen. And refiners who have chosen, and it is a choice, the refiners who have chosen to comply by buying rent credits um, are really squawking about the high prices they're seeing now. Uh, what isn't being reported is there's a lot of refiners out there uh, that, that don't need to buy rent credits because they are buying and blending renewable fuel, and they're obtaining their rent credits by blending the physical product. Uh, and, in fact, they're the ones that, that have extra RINs to sell in, in many cases. So um, it really is sort of a, a war, not just a war between biofuels and refiners. It's, it's a war within the refining community as well. There are haves and have-nots when it comes to the RIN market, uh, and you don't hear nearly as much about that. This is usually you know, teed up as a, as a battle between big corn and big oil, whoever big corn is. Um, and it's and it's not. It's it's really a small group group of refiners that have chosen to comply by buying RINs versus everybody else who is doing what the law, uh, you know, compels them to do. Meanwhile, we wait for that Supreme Court ruling. It just I can't imagine if the administration is thinking about granting some kind of relief to the oil industry. You would think they'd wait to see what that ruling is going to be. Yeah, and I think I think they they will. I think uh, EPA and, and the administration and, and everybody else are waiting for that Supreme Court ruling to come out before deciding what the next steps are going to be on implementation of the RFS. Uh, we know the Supreme Court is publishing opinions today, Wednesday, and Friday of this week. Uh, it looks like they're already done for today, so we don't expect to see uh, a decision out of the Supreme Court uh, today. So Wednesday would be the next next opportunity to get that uh, decision out of the Supreme Court, certainly by the end of June, uh, so another week or so, uh, we would expect to see that decision because the session ends for the Supreme Court, uh, and they certainly intend to get this decision uh, published before before the end of the session. So, um, you know, if it's not this week, we certainly think by next week we will have that decision from the Supreme Court. 
And we will talk again when that decision uh, comes down. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Good yes, to talk sir. to you. Take All right, care. Thank you, Mike. Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. So we're off and running with another busy week. We'll have updates on these stories and more tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.